0: It's the third homestand of the season, and Walters is ready to be your pre- and post-game spot this weekend. Bottomless brunch begins at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy bottomless mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for just $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree. Be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball, we encourage you to walk on over to Walters.
1: After the Nats game Saturday, be sure to head to Walters to hang out and watch the Kentucky Derby.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lester's 2-2 struck him out swinging with a fastball. He wanted it in, left it over the plate, and John Lester gets his first strikeout in the Nationals uniform. Outfield plays Schwarber to pull. Big gap to left center. Here's the pitch. Swinging a long drive, right center field. Back
0: on this one is Harrison, looking up, and this one is gone! Into the second deck! It's a leadoff, walk-off, two-run homer for Kyle Schwarber! Nationals win it 2-1! to one. And welcome to Nat Chat for Saturday, May 1st, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Goldie podcast a 2-1 10-inning victory for the Nationals over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Friday night. First extra inning game of the season for the Nationals and apparently it was honor your former Chicago Cubs night at Nationals Park. John Lester five scoreless innings in his regular season Nats debut and Kyle Schwarber a walk-off homer for a second time in three Friday nights for so much of the night it was a frustrating night a maddening night offensively for the Nationals But they find a way to get the job done, send everyone home happy, and another bomb from old Shorby, a shore bomb, ends up giving the Nationals a needed
1: win. This is one of those games, Al, where if they don't win it, if he doesn't come through like that, they are heading home. Everybody's heading home, incredibly frustrated because they spent nine innings desperately trying to score one run and could not do it. They found every possible way not to score a run. They were hitting into double plays, they were running into outs. They had bad at-bats. They were getting great pitching and, and shutting down the Marlins, and then they give up a run because of the stupid extra inning rule where Brad Hand didn't deserve to give up a run and take the loss, which is what was about to happen, and then they won it in even more ridiculous fashion on the walk-off two-run homer by the leadoff hitter in the bottom of the 10th. This is extra innings in 2021. I'm not a fan of it, but I guess I look at this instead of as a 2-1 win, I'm going to look at it as a one nothing Nats win. Is that all right with you?
0: Well, I'm okay with that with the official scoring. It's an and run anyway, so it's not like Hand has to worry about that. But I'm with you. I did feel so bad for him because he pitched well, and then he gives up that blue pit to Garrett Cooper. And you're like, that's how they're going to lose this game? You know, that, that was such a fluke hit. I mean, it was not like Hand made a bad pitch or anything like that. But because you had the runner on second base, two outs, if you pitch the contact, you'd get in some trouble with this extra inning rule. And uh, the Nats were in trouble until the Shore bomb to the second deck. I mean, that's the thing. That was a moonshot by Schwarber two previous Friday nights ago. And it was another one on this Friday night. He has not been good this season offensively. I know you wrote the piece recently, and it's so true. You could argue he's been better defensively than he has been offensively. But when he has connected, he's had two of the biggest hits of the national season.
1: I don't know. I don't think this one was that impressive. Only 454. The previous one was 463. And Cleared under the concourse. This one was only 454. I'll be honest off the bat, maybe it's because, you know, I realized what had happened and I'm already looking down at my computer and, you know, starting to like type out whatever I need to type out. I didn't realize how well he hit it. I thought it was like a wall scraper. And uh, it wasn't until later on that I looked at the numbers and saw that it went 454 feet. This guy does not get cheated. I mean, when he hits one, he really connects. And I, I thought it was interesting, you know, after watching the Marlins manufacture that run the way they did. I wondered if the Nats would try a similar tact in their half of the 10th inning. And Davey said that typically you would think that, but because he knew who was coming up to bat, he said to Schwarber, hey, just take a big swing and and see what you can do with it. (laughs) And he took a huge swing. And because of it, they've won two games because of him. There's a lot of things that he hasn't done well for them, but you can definitively say that he has won them two games with his bat.
0: Yeah, I would have slammed Davey if he had Kyle Bunt in that
1: spot. No, that wasn't going to happen. No, no, no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are some who you say Bunt. And actually, that's one of those spots where it does make sense to Bunt because all you need is the run. And so if you got a guy in second, I think it actually does help you. But a guy like Schwarber, who's got that kind of power and has already done this this season, like let him swing away. That's why he's here. And to his credit, he's given him a couple of walk-off wins here. It was, though, nuts watching this game. The Marlins are a team. The offense is basically nothing, but the pitching is impressive. Like, if the Marlins are going to have a second straight surprisingly successful season, it's going to be because of the pitching. Game is scoreless through nine innings. Nats go 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position for the game. And how about the frequency with which the Nats hit into double plays on Friday night? This drove you bonkers. Inning-ending double plays off Nats' bats. Bottom of the third, bottom of the sixth, bottom of the seventh. Yet another double play in the bottom of the eighth inning. It was one after another on Friday night.
1: You know, the good news is they made contact. (laughs)
0: They they
1: only struck out, I think it was four times in the game. So I guess, you know, you say, hey, put the bat on the ball, make the defense work. Well, they made the defense work and the defense took care of business for them. And, you know, hey, sometimes it's bad luck, it's going to happen. But there were some bad at-bats in there. Starlin Castro with a runner on third base and one out, twice, swung at the first pitch and made an out that couldn't get the runner home. The first was a a shallow fly ball to right field that couldn't score Harrison in the first, and then the killer 6-4-3 in the sixth. Those were not good at-bats. You know, Schwarber came up after Josh Bell walked on four pitches in the first inning, and now it's bases loaded, and Schwarber pops up to end the inning. That was a a frustrating at-bat. There were a lot of very frustrating at-bats in this game, and it does remind you that they have a long way to go to get to where they want to be. I mean, until the 10th inning, this was basically the Josh Harrison, Yadiel Hernandez show and nobody else. Those two were great. They kept getting on, and nobody behind them could drive them in. That's not a, a way to live life for 162 games. They, they got by in this one, winning it, but that's not a formula for success, and they're going to have to be better than that.
0: The Nationals have a major offensive problem. There's no getting around it. And even once Juan Soto is back, I don't think the problem is fixed. I mean, they had offensive struggles prior to Juan getting hurt. He's a great hitter, but he's only one person. He can only do so much. I mean, you look at this lineup, Yadiel Hernandez, as well as he's hit, and he has, and he had another nice game on Friday night with the three hits, but he's your number three batter. Like that's where we're at. Yadiel Hernandez, who's not even supposed to be on the team, is your number three batter. Starling Castro, who has hit for zero power this season, is your cleanup batter. Like, that's what we're doing now. Davey's still not playing Ryan Zimmerman. Josh Bell was back out there in the five spot. I know he hit the home run in the last game, but another hitless game for him. I mean, this is kind of what the offense, it's certainly what the offense has been this season. I don't know that it's going to change substantially. I mean, unless everyone catches fire at once, I don't know that you're going to see much better than this as the season goes on. But man, Mark, I mean, I just, I looked at this lineup, I'm like, geez, this is really where we're at here with the likes of, you know, Yadiel is batting third, Castro's batting fourth. Like, this is what Davy's trotting out there.
1: And the thing is, Al, that when I saw the lineup come out this afternoon, I thought to myself, yeah, given what he has to work with, <laughs> that actually makes the most sense. That's the scary part of it. It's because, and we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, when Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber are not hitting for you and are hitting below 200 and not hitting for power other than a couple of very big home runs, you can't afford to have them in the heart of your lineup. And so they did have to move down, and they were in the five and six spots. And so who's left? And because we saw that Trey Turner just, for whatever reason, is more comfortable leading off, you have to put him there. You can't put him in the middle of the order. So who's left? Well, Harrison's been getting on base, and Yachty, hell, it's hitting 400 now. So let's give him some credit. Again, I don't know if in the long run he can continue to do this, and certainly. When Soto is back, I don't think there's going to be a spot for him in the lineup. There will be a spot for him on the bench, I believe. But given what they had to work with, I think that was their best arrangement Davey could come up with for this game. But in the long haul, that's not going to work. They're going to have to get Soto back and they're going to have to get production from the big guys who are supposed to be producing more consistently than they have.
0: Yeah, like we said, Hernandez three singles on Friday night. One out single, bottom of the first, one out first pitch single, bottom of the sixth, one out first pitch single, and a stolen base. A a rare successful steal for the Nationals this season in the bottom of the ninth. I mean, I guess at this point we're not surprised when Ryan Zimmerman doesn't play, but were you at all surprised that Zim didn't get the start in this game
1: tonight? No, and I think the Bell Homer the other night may have been the the reason for it. You just wanted to, you know, keep him feeling good about himself. I do think he's gonna start one of these games. I think there's a lefty for the Marlins in the series finale. And, you know, you have day games, so I I think it makes sense that we will see him. What I am more surprised by is that we continue to not see him pinch-hitting late in games. I thought Davies' pinch-hitting choices were odd in this one. He goes with Aaronon Perez, who we've been talking about, now 0 for his last 18, as his first hitter off the bench in the fifth inning. And I get it, it's still early in the game, but you had a runner on in a scoreless game, you have Stevenson. You have Mercer, who's been a better hitter. I did not understand why Perez was the choice there, although it turned out that Robles was caught stealing yet again, and so it kind of made that whole rally moot. And then he went with Stevenson with the leadoff runner on in the eighth, and it's like, is he just saving Zim to only face lefties late in the game? Maybe that's his philosophy, and I know that he's your best bat for that spot, but if he's not going to be in the lineup, then to me, if it's a close game late, Ryan Zerman has to appear at some point. And, you know, if the game kept going, maybe he would have been the guy in the bottom of the 10th if they load the bases with two outs, something like that. But that to me is the more troubling thing. I'm okay with him not starting all these games, but I want to see him get his one at bat and in a key spot. And situations have not presented itself to do that yet.
0: For those who watch the game on TV, Masson at one point put up a graphic that compare and contrast Zimmerman's season so far versus Bell's season so far. And, I mean, I'm almost surprised they put that up there. It was embarrassing, okay? I mean, what Zimmerman has done vis-a-vis what Bells done, and you're just like, how is Zimmerman not playing more? I mean, no one is saying he should start every game, but good God, like, Hernan Perez and not Zimmerman tonight? Like, what was the sense behind that? Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that baseball is back. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's a perfect time to give that a shot. If you live in Virginia, you have access to the Sportsbook, so you can bet on baseball this weekend or even on the Kentucky Derby. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every single game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code chat.
3: 21 plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 100 522 in Colorado. 1 100 bets off in Iowa. 109 with it Indiana 270 for confidential help in Michigan 100 gambler New Jersey Pennsylvania Illinois Virginia Tennessee 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia visit
1: www.100gambler.net Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nat's Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at RealEstateRachel.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Lopez sets, kicks the livers and it's way outside. Now Robles going to throw on down and he's out on a delayed
0: steal. Robles, another caught stealing. And look, Victor, a couple of hits on Friday night. So he does continue to At least do a halfway decent job of getting on base. Two for three with a couple singles. One out single in the bottom of the fifth inning. Then he had a leadoff single in the bottom of the eighth inning. But, okay, bottom of the fifth, he gets that single, and then he gets caught trying to steal second base. It was an odd play. It was a delayed steal for the second out of the inning. It was close, like a good number of these have been. I mean, it's not like he was out by a mile, but he was out again. And at that point, the Nationals were 7 for 13 on stolen bases in the season. Nearly 50% on the year, which is woeful. When it comes to trying to steal bases, what did you make of that uh, moment there for Robles getting thrown out once again?
1: Well, that stat is even worse than you said, because Trey Turner is five for five, which means the rest of the team at that point, this is before Yadiel's stolen base. The rest of the team was two for eight on the season. That cannot happen. That's not acceptable in any era of baseball to have a 25% stolen base percentage, successful stolen base percentage. That cannot happen. Now, you know, I understand it was a spot to try to run and it was a sort of close play. So, I mean, I, you get it, but at some point you have to just put the brakes on if it's not being successful and you're giving away outs that you just cannot afford to give away from a lineup that is not producing. I think you just have to put the brakes on unless you've got a matchup where you know the pitcher is really, really slow to the play. It wound up like a pitch out. It almost looked like the pitcher was supposed to be up and he threw it outside and it set up the catcher perfectly for it. So maybe it was just one of those weird fluky things. But I mean, man, they just cannot keep doing this to themselves. It's okay to run, but you have to know you're going to be successful. And at some point, if you're not successful, you have to put the red light on and just say, it's not going to work this way. We're going to have to try to score runs. Otherwise, they cannot give away outs like this.
0: You know, baseball is tricky, too, because just because you're fast, it doesn't mean that you're a great base dealer or a great base runner. And I don't know if it's fair to say that Robles isn't a great base dealer or a great base runner. But I think like there has to be a comprehension of, yeah, he's really fast, like if you timed him in the 40, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be great at stealing bases. It doesn't mean that he's not going to run himself into outs. We've seen that already a bunch this season, and you saw it again, bottom of the fifth Friday night. And it's like, if you're safe, it's great, but it feels like they're almost never safe in these spots. Like They get thrown out all the time. Like After every game, we're talking about one or two of these things, and it's costing themselves. It's costing them big time. I mean, you look around baseball, there are teams that generate runs and have great success running the bases and stealing bags. The Nationals are the opposite of that. They are killing themselves with this stuff. And especially when you're not hitting, it's even more painful to see. Now, on the flip side of the offense was a very encouraging regular season debut for John Lester. The ramp-up to end all ramp-ups. And you can never say that he did not ramp-up for this season. Because good God, did that ramp-up take a long time. But I guess maybe the ramp-up paid off. John Lester, five scoreless innings. In his Nats debut. Now, he was not dominant, just one strikeout, gave up five hits, did issue two intentional walks, had just one clean inning, but a bunch of ground ball outs, did a pretty good job of throwing strikes. I think if you're the Nationals, you take this and you run with this. Five scoreless from Leicester. Really nice job, I thought, by him.
1: Yeah, 100% you take it. And, you know, I think, I don't know if they'd ever admit it, but there had to be some questions in all their minds tonight when he took the mound? Did you really know what you were going to get from him? Because it was three, you know, we're calling them rehab starts. They were simulated games. They were not against an opponent. And as he even pointed out, these are games where if you hit a certain pitch count, they can roll over the inning and just end it right there. It's a non-competitive situation. And he knew that that wasn't the same thing and acknowledged it. And I think that may be among the many reasons why they just felt like, let's get out there and do it. Let's find out once and for all, is he ready or not? And he was ready. Now, He's still not at 100%. He's not perfectly crisp out there yet. There were some hard hit balls. He was helped by his defense a lot. Starling Castro made a great play at third base in the third. Trey Turner started a nice 6-4-3 double play in the fifth. Lester knew that. He admitted it. He thanked his defense. He even It said sometimes better be lucky than good. But for a first start under the circumstances is a very good building block for him. I think it was wise to pull him after five innings. I know some people are going to say, wait a minute. Low pitch count. He's only thrown 70 pitches. What are you doing? No, no, no. Take it and run with it. They had a fresh bullpen and he was playing with fire a little bit during the course of the night. So, absolutely the right move, I think, to pull him. It's a good building block. He's going to face some tougher lineups. My biggest takeaway was if he can keep the ball down in the zone, and I mean like at the knees or below and away on the corner of the plate and even off the plate, he can be successful. But the moment he gets up in the zone at all, that's where he could be in trouble. They could hit the ball hard. He was helped by the wind tonight also from left field, knocked a couple balls down. So I'm not declaring him to be all the way back in elite John Lester again, but he did what they needed him to do. And I think that's a good stepping stone for him now moving forward.
0: He's not been very good the last two seasons. So you get something like this, you take it no matter how you end up getting it. The one strikeout was of the former Nats catcher, Sandy Leon, who's still in the major leagues. Uh, It's fun to still see him out there. But like I said, he threw strikes, 46 of the 70 pitches did go for strikes, induced nine total outs by a grounder. So if you can make a living doing that, and it's not easy necessarily to do that, but if you can do that, that's going to go a long way. Toward helping you out. And, you know, like you said, I think it's a perfect building block. Like, go ahead, establish yourself this way, and uh, maybe the next time, you know, you can be a little better in terms of avoiding the hard hit ball. I thought there was an interesting strategic decision to top of the fifth. Lester with Miguel Rojas on second off a one out double gets behind Jesus Aguilar 2 0, and then issues an intentional walk. Then that's decide to go from you know, Lester facing the batter, honestly, to say, okay, go ahead and intentionally walk him. Decision works out beautifully. Lester gets the Marlins' next batter, Gary Cooper, to hit into the 6-4-3 double play. We see this sometimes. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we never see something like this, but what did you make of that kind of transitioning of, okay, go ahead and intentionally walk Aguilar to get Cooper up?
1: What I made it from, it was one out, and that was intentionally walking the number two hitter to get to the number three hitter. You're not going to see that a whole lot. Again, not with two outs. And we're not talking the bottom of the order here. You're talking about the middle of the order. And they did it again in the 10th inning. They intentionally walked Aguiar to get to Cooper. So they had a feeling that Garrett Cooper was the matchup they wanted tonight. Now, Cooper wound up with the bloop single off Brad Hand that scored the go-ahead run in the top of the 10th. But no, I thought it was a very interesting strategy. But I think it does kind of underscore what John Lester is about. And he knows who he is. He knows what he's trying to do. And he's not going to give in to you. He's going to go about it his way and try to win the game the way that he thinks he can. That means with the matchups that he wants. If he falls behind a hitter, he's not going to give in and say, okay, I'm just going to throw 89 miles an hour over the heart of the plate and hope for the best. Nope. You know what? I'll take my chances with the next guy. I'll walk you. I'll go after the next hitter. And it worked out. You know, like I said, he played with fire quite a bit in this game, but he's been around long enough. He knows himself as a pitcher. I think he knows what he's doing. Alex Avila was working with him. He's caught him before as well. I'll be curious to see if that's a, if there's a pattern there if we see that again from them. That is unconventional strategy with one out and the heart of the lineup coming up.
0: Yeah, and with a guy like Lester who doesn't miss bats, you know, you put people on base, you are walking a tightrope because Lester's prone to allow balls to be put in play and when you have balls put in play, anything can happen. That was one of the nice things about Friday night, you got some good defense, right? That Castro play in particular that you referenced. This, to me, has been a real concern, especially when guys like Lester Pitch of the Nats are not a good defensive team. At least they don't profile as one. Maybe they end up you know, changing our minds this season. But if you're going to have a guy like Lester who doesn't have swing and miss stuff, you're going to be subjected to the variance of the ball in play. Do you make those plays? Nats, to their credit, made the plays on Friday night. <laughs>
3: Hey, NatChat listeners, Tim is here to tell you about CBD Sunday Scaries. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. I've been taking them for the past few weeks. And let me tell you, they definitely are delicious, and they go very well right before I need to go to bed. Sunday Scary CBD Gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. And I imagine many of you need that after the roller coaster evening that was Friday night that ended with the Schwarber walk-off bomb. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD Gummies and CBD Oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure and best products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes
0: from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day. I'm excited to finally use it. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower, 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance-reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Get your 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the code WASHINGTON. (music)
2: WASHINGTON. Brinson at third, Leone at first. Clay to the belt. Here it comes. Fastball grounded softly to third. Castro down to a knee, scoops it up, fires
0: across to first, and the inning over. So nice work for Sam Clay. And then Davey went to his bullpen, and overall, I mean, another nice game for this Nationals pen. I don't know at what point we're able to declare the bullpen good. I don't think we're at that point yet, but we are now through the month of April for the Nationals, and the bullpen, so far, so good. One run unearned over six innings on Friday night. Kyle Finnegan had some issues in the top of the sixth, but Sam Clay, an absolute fireman to get out of that inning, comes into the game, two outs, runners at the corners, game scoreless, induces a ground out for the third out. Perfect top of the seventh from Tanner Rainey. Perfect top of the eighth from Daniel Hudson. Scoreless top of the ninth from Hand. And then, you know, I don't think Hand did anything really that wrong in the top of the tenth, but with the runner on second, he gives up the two-out bloop. To Cooper and the Marlins score run. This Nats pen, you talk about taking it and running with it, which you got from Lester on Friday night. Hundred percent, you do that with this bullpen so far, especially with how much it's been leaned on.
1: I think they are trending in the good direction. Maybe you're right; they're not quite there yet. But you know, you went into the season and you felt like Hand for sure was was a sure thing, and he's been good. Even you know, the spring we're kind of concerned. uh, oh, where's the velocity and all that? Hudson didn't have a great spring, but he has looked very good. He's throwing the ball really hard. And the more work he gets, I think the better he is. Rainey is coming around. The velocity is there. He's starting to look like the guy he was supposed to be all along. So that's three at the back end. And then to me, the bonus here that we didn't really know what you're going to get is Sam Clay, who was another one who wasn't supposed to make the team coming out of spring training. And all of a sudden he's here because of injuries and COVID and everything else. And now Luis Avilan's Tommy John surgery has opened up a spot for him. And he looks like a real find. You know, again, small sample here. But he does look like someone who can come in, get out of a jam. He's really tough on lefties. The slider is legit. So if you now have four and you know, even five deep with Finnegan, and we haven't even talked about Suero, who's who's out, you know, and he was pitching really well before he got hurt, there is depth there for them. And I like that. The only worry you have is if they start getting used too much, do they wear down? Well, because they haven't been in a lot of close games, because they've had a lot of off days, there haven't been many back to back appearances for them. Now let's see on Saturday, if they're in position like this again, are all of them good to go or not? But what we've seen so far, I mean, it is impressive. And I I think they are trending in a direction where we can call them a good bullpen.
0: Yes. And we've seen so many times over the years, the bullpen struggle early, the bullpen be a mess, the bullpen being something you have to overcome game in, game out. You're not seeing that. I mean, if, if you're saying rotation versus bullpen versus lineup, the bullpen's been the strength, and it's not even a conversation. Like, the bullpen, you almost can say, like, where would the Nats be without their bullpen so far this year? So I give these guys credit. You know, Hudson, to me, I didn't know what to think. He was bad last year. He was so bad in spring training. He's been so good so far this season. Like you said, Rainey's coming around. Hand has been pretty much what you thought you'd be. And if you found something in a fireman in clay, you know, a ground ball inducer in clay, that is so valuable. You know, you got guys like McGowan and Finnegan who are certainly capable. And you still haven't seen Will Harris. You know, Everyday Wander has been out for a while here. We'll see when he comes back. So good to see this with the Nationals bullpen. All right. So Lester gives the Nats exactly what you could have hoped for on Friday night. Saturday afternoon, it's a 105 first pitch at Nationals Park. And it is the latest in as the Corbin turns. Patrick Corbin going to be pitching first time since the 4-0 Nationals loss at the New York Mets. Last Sunday afternoon. We know it has been a nightmare of a start to the season for Corbin. He's got an ERA at 1047. He's got a whip a 202. With Lester now part of the rotation, I know they're skipping Joe Ross because they want to manage his innings, but you've got Fetty doing as he's doing. You've got Max Scherzer, obviously, as Scherzer, even though I know he struggled in his last start. Is it stating things too much to say that Corbin's spot in the rotation is on the line on Saturday, or at the very least, a bad start? may put it on the line for the next
1: start. I don't think yet, no, because the only way that anybody is losing a spot is if Steven Strasburg is back, and he's not there yet. Sounds like going to throw off a bullpen mound this weekend for the first time. Well, you do that, then you got to start facing live hitters, then you got to build yourself back up the way that John Lester did. So we're still several weeks away, I think, from that. So I don't think that Saturday's start is make or break for Patrick Corbin. Now, he does need... To put together a much better start to ensure that he doesn't get in a position where he is one start away from losing his spot. But for now, no, because they don't have another option that's healthy and available to them. I thought it was interesting that they decided to have him start this game. It could have been Joe Ross, like you said. They pushed Ross back to Tuesday against the Braves. Now, there's a couple ways to look at it. Number one Is it a case of them trying to manage Ross's innings, which I think is valid. It's something they've talked about wanting to do because he sat out all last year. So you're giving him nine days of rest before he pitches again. There's something to that. But there's also the idea that you want your better pitchers facing a Braves lineup than you want them facing a Marlins lineup. And right now, Joe Ross is the better pitcher. And so by having him go Tuesday and having uh, Corbin go Saturday, it would seem to be an easier matchup for Corbin and trying to set him up to have more success. We'll see how it plays out, whether that's true or not. But I mean, that's a fascinating, if that's the reason, and I don't know that is the reason, but if that was the reason, what a fascinating decision to make and something that a month ago would we have ever seen coming, that they would say, we need to use our less effective pitcher against the Marlins and save our better one for the Braves. And the choice would be Corbin to face the Marlins and Ross to face the Braves.
0: No doubt. Corbin, like we've said, it's not that he's been bad. It's that he's been like wretched in these starts. You know, like you can function with not good, but at least like, you know, you're capable, like you're in the game. When you're getting buried in the early innings, as the Nats have gotten buried in some of these early innings of games started by Corbin, and you don't have a chance and your offense isn't very good, it's like, what are we doing here putting this guy out, you know, every five days? Now, Patrick Corbin, I think, has earned the right to work his way through some of this stuff, okay? It's not some rookie who you're like, "Eh, I don't know if he's any good or not. But I think, like anything, at some point, we need to start seeing some results. I mean, the ERA is 1047. That can't be the case. It's got to come down. So hopefully it does come down. I mean, Marlins are not a very good hitting team. So you would think this profiles as a kind of get-right start. He did have that good outing a few weeks ago. So it's not like he hasn't done anything good so far this year. But yeah, he 100%. Needs to deliver. You mentioned the Strasburg situation, gave us an update on that. What about Juan Soto? Because both Soto and Strasburg are eligible to come off the IL right now.
1: Yeah, so they both could have been activated on Friday, and they're not because they both still need to pass some tests in the throwing department. In Soto's case, he has played catch. He did that for the first time on Thursday, and he was supposed to do some more on Friday. They need to see that he can throw to bases and hit a cutoff man and not negatively impact the shoulder before they're going to bring him back. And, you know, the good news is, like, they don't need him to have a a great arm. He doesn't have to show that he can, you know, fire a strike to the plate from 250 feet away. But they need to know that he can make throws that are necessary in a game and not put himself at more risk. They just do not want to take the chance of him suffering a, a greater injury that's going to knock him out for a long time. So as much as they desperately need him in the lineup right now, they need to make sure that he is okay and in the clear. So it may happen this weekend, or they may decide, let's take a few more days and just to be sure about it. It's frustrating for everyone. I'm sure it's frustrating for one too, but they gotta make sure this thing doesn't balloon into anything worse because that's a nightmare scenario for the team. No doubt.
0: All right. Well, in our last installment of the Nats Chat podcast, we asked for your tales from Little League of Mark Sun being up in it when it comes to the Little League season. And of course, for so many of you listening, right, Little League season been going on here. So we got a lot of great submissions to natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We wanted to share one here real quick. It comes to us from our friend Tim. Tim writes the following, as a youngster, having never played organized sports and having a father who was a baseball coach, I had to deal with his frustration of my not caring what handed I was. It seemed I could do anything with either hand, i.e. shoot, hit, throw, etc., But what handed are you? He would yell at me as he would watch me play ball in the backyard. I don't know. I would yell back. One night he had had enough and took me out to the diamond to introduce me to his team of little leaguers. This is my son, Tim, my dad said as we huddled up before the game. He doesn't know what handed he is. The kids looked at me and one named Joey said he doesn't even have a glove. Let me see yours, my dad replied. Joey threw my dad his glove and my dad tossed it to me. He does now, my dad replied. Now get out there and ride field, he said to me. Well, I ran out there and tried to figure out what hand to put the glove on. The darn thumb of the glove was to the left of the finger, so I put it on my right hand. It fit perfectly. Wouldn't you know that same inning, a kid hits a ball to right field, sending me back on my heels, and I made the catch. Easy as pie. That's it. That's it, Timmy. My dad cried from the bench. You're left-handed. I just shrugged. Didn't seem like a big deal to me at the time, and from that day on, I've been left-handed. Sometimes I do wonder what would have happened had that thumb been on the right side of those fingers of that old Wilson mitt. Would I be different? Would I have been better? Funny how things work out sometimes. Cheers, Tim. That is an excellent email, Tim, so thank you for that.
1: What a story. I've never heard (laughs) anything like that in my life, that somebody doesn't know what handed they are, and they're just given a glove and they put it on the hand that it fits on. And okay, that's it. You're left handed for the rest of your life. That is an amazing story. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing it with us. I don't know if we can top that, but if anybody else has a good one they want to share, we will happily read it on the air and uh, continue this uh, fun storyline about Little League.
0: So can I ask you, because my son is three and a half, he actually does things with both of his hands. When do you find out what handed your kid is?
1: (laughs) Um, I would say a little bit after that, probably when they start writing is maybe the key. Although, look, you can influence it. If you want him to be a lefty, buy him a a left-handed baseball glove, show him how to throw left-handed, show him how to swing left-handed. You can make it happen if you want. I mean, you wouldn't be the first to try to manipulate that sort of thing. My... Hunches, I feel like it happens when they start to write and which hand do they feel natural, you know, writing letters and drawing pictures with. Okay. Well,
0: he punches me with both hands, but <laughs> with, with, with the three batter minimum rule, I don't know if the lefty thing is as good as it used to be, but we'll have to figure that out. So,
1: I mean, Oliver Perez just got DFA'd at age 40 and he <laughs> may be out of luck now. There may finally not be a use for him anymore. So that once was a path to a long and lucrative career, but in modern baseball, unfortunately may not be the case anymore.
0: It is tough. Well, keep your tales of Little League coming. Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us too at Nats underscore chat. All National's highlights on the Nats Chat Podcast are brought to you by 1067 the fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: Smalls, throw it to second. Okay. Please catch it.
2: Please catch it. Please catch it. Please catch it. Yeah! Alright! He's
4: alright. I told you so, man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?